It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor. Along with Rick Broering, each and every week we look at sports topics of some local interest. Occasional national topic or two. We've got a gambling segment and then uh, the segment of the podcast that we usually just spin out of control. It's hashtag ask skinny anything where you can ask me a question on any topic, sports or otherwise. And both Rick and I will try to answer it to the best of our ability. I know, Rick, uh, you're probably up late celebrating. I know I was. I didn't get much sleep after uh, FC Cincinnati pulled off that big one nil <laughs> win at uh, at uh, Chicago FC. I mean, I. I was ecstatic that they scored a goal. Um, I ran around my house and pulled my shirt off, which I shouldn't have done. I, 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 I did the, you know, the, that whole knee slide thing and forgot yeah. I did it on carpet. That wasn't good. So my knees are hurting, but it was well worth it to watch them get that goal and, and win that match. That was huge for the, for the, for the lads to win that big match on the pitch. Was it Brandy Chastain? What was her name? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Brandy Chastain. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Yeah. Skinny Chastain. I like that. That was, I bet that was a real sight. Your wife was probably fired up. Well, the, the, the good part was, you know, and, and plus there's the parlay of, of uh, you know, I had FC Cincinnati plus 499. And of course, you love the under. It was under two and a half goals. It's an easy two team parlay. Anytime FC Cincinnati is a plus almost a five, that's an easy two team parlay, Rick. I'm not going to lie. Here's what you're not going to believe. Hey, you're making these jokes right now. Yesterday yes. was the second time all year I went over to bet FC Cincinnati. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to guess you played the under. N- no, unfortunately, I just bet them to lose. Um, oh, and wow. they put out their second win. Guess what the other time I bet them this year was? Uh, I get to guess when they won their other match. The only other time they won this year. Yeah. Yeah. I'm 0 for 2 yeah. on FCC games this year. I'm not no longer a soccer better, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, well, you know, it, it, we've talked about this before. I mean, it, that stadium is cool and the fans do love going. I just wonder, does, does anybody even care that they won last night? Dude, they I, should, I, know, <laughs> I, I know apparently their team doesn't because you don't, you don't get any release from them until like one o'clock in the morning, three hours after a match ends. Oh, good timing on that. They, they beat the fire in Soldier Field. There are very few atmospheres oh, like when FC Cincinnati matches yeah, up against the fire. Yeah, you can't hope to win that match ever. I mean, that's a, that's almost an impossible match to win, you know. But and they uh, went in there, and they got it done. Oh, oh, wait a minute, hang on. Chicago FC is um, they've only won one match too, so those were the two worst teams in, in MLS. It's just, is you know, it's tough. I mean, it, yeah. it's it's tough. They're they're really fighting out there. They're still scrapping for the city. Oh, no question. God bless them. I know everybody is really locked in right now on FC Cincinnati soccer. You can just yeah, feel I mean, the buzz in the city when you walk around. Well, at least for them, I know I'm not going to be on some crazy roller coaster ride like the Reds because I just know they're not very good. They're not going to be very good for a while. So I just the, the Reds take you on that roller coaster ride. That it's probably even more infuriating than if you're a fan. If you're a really deeply seated fan of that soccer team, that 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 would be hard to root for. Well, yeah. God bless FC Cincinnati. They figured it out. Don't even tease your fans with the possibility of get, getting good to where they'll complain that you didn't spend enough money to be good. Just right, don't right. even come That's close. Right. That's Make right. you feel just like stay, it's unobtainable. Yeah, just it's a, it's it's all about the atmosphere. Yeah, we used to call that the uh, the Mike Brown way of doing yes. things. Yeah, and then I think at some point fans then they finally said, up and hired yeah, Marvin Lewis." Yeah, right. And you started winning enough to make yourself relevant. Yep. Yeah, that was their mistake. Hey, hired Marvin Lewis, and then drafted Joe Burrow. Two biggest yeah. downfalls of Mike Brown. <laughs> exactly. All right, Skitty. Let's get into some baseball talk. After winning six straight with back-to-back sweeps over the Rockies and Brewers. The Reds dropped five straight to the Padres and the Twins before picking up a 10-7 win Tuesday afternoon. The Reds now enter a four-game series against the Braves this weekend, four and a half games back of the first-place Brewers and four games behind the second-place Cubs. The team clearly needs pitching help, both in terms of starting rotation depth and the bullpen, and they have a few top prospects making noise in the minors as Hunter Green just made the move up to AAA and Nick Lodolo is likely soon to follow when he gets over a blister issue. 
Skinny, do you think the Reds should move Hunter Green or Nick Lodolo up to the show in the near future, whether that be in a starting role or reliever? I think you have to consider it sometime in August, uh, and maybe you do wait till September. I, 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 see, Rick, I'm not as much concerned with the starting rotation because I'm feeling pretty good about these guys for the most part. Yeah, you're going to have a blip every once in a while. But right now, Luis Castillo is pitching the way he's capable of. Sonny Gray's probably not too far from returning. Tyler Malley's been great, and we're going to talk about him getting yanked a little early. Wade Miley's been really, really good, and I'm okay. Vladimir Gutierrez is your fifth guy. I, I can live with that part of it. Obviously, the bullpen needs just some desperate help. You just have nobody out there other than TJ Antone who, who can get outs consistently, and I think that's where I'm just not, and I've said this before, I'm not sure Hunter Green's long-term spot is in the rotation, and I hope I'm proven wrong. Um, but when you have that much max effort, I just don't see it. And and maybe I it's short-sighted on my part. But I go back to the role as Chapman. Remember, he was yeah. originally going to be a starter. And look, the guy made a he's made multi, you know, multi, multi, multi-millions of dollars being one of the game's best best closer. So it worked out great for a role as Chapman. It could work out great for Hunter Green. Good part was Hunter Green did have a good second start um last night. We're doing this on Thursday morning on Wednesday night. Went five innings, gave up two hits, walked three, struck out six, I believe it was. Did not give up a run um, after he gave up those four solo homers and, and still struck out eight in, in his first start. So kind of a, a weird start. He, he dominated at times in start one, but also gave up four solo homers in four innings. Nick Lodolo is the one to me, though. You know, you can make that double A to, to, to major league jump, um, and we've seen it before. I guess it, it comes down to this. I mean, he was a college pitcher. Hunter Green was not. Hunter Green's coming off Tommy John, you know, not too long ago. Nick Lodolo kind of rolled from college. He's been, he's, you know, we didn't get a chance to see him last year because of because of COVID. He's dominated at Chattanooga. You mentioned he's, he's missed a start here, but he six starts. He's got an 0.92 ERA. Um, that's pretty dominant. I mean, you can argue, you could bump him up to AAA, but I, I just wonder – I wonder sometime in August if if you feel like, listen, this guy has nothing left to prove at double A. Triple A is going to be a waste of time. We could use him um, in whatever role. Maybe it's a reliever role for him coming up. I I, I, see, I don't mind that with young pitchers sometimes. Bring them up in a relief role. Let them get their feet wet a little bit, knowing they've got good stuff. And, and let, them, let them, you know, get through it, especially if the Reds are in contention. See how they handle the pressure of that. Um, you know, maybe out of desperation, if there's other injuries and you have to, to fill a rotation spot. Um, so to me, I, I think they're both different and I don't want to say I want to rush them, but if both show they're ready to get some major league outs, I can tell you this much. There's a bunch of guys in that bullpen right now that can't get major league outs. I know that you're mentioning August, September, and I, I, that's understandable, but I think a lot of people are probably assuming that's going to be a major conversation by that point of the season, regardless sure. of what happens. You know, sure. the Reds could sell off at the trade deadline and have to bring and, them up because they just right. Well, there's that too. Arms right. Or, right. Uh, what do you think about? I mean, they're in the thick of it right now. They just had that run where they put themselves in a position to contend. Then the next week, the bullpen completely lets them down. They fall right back behind again. They need help right now. Would you consider? just bringing one of those guys up to the bullpen right now at all, or is it not even in your I, thought process? I, I don't think it's in my thought process. I mean, you, you you obviously decided to move Hunter Green from AA to AAA and see what that looked like. And again, that's usually not a huge jump, as you know. I mean, and it's gone of, well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, a a lot of, there's a lot of 4A guys playing playing AAA baseball. Um, you know, most of the times, you know, AA is kind of where you separate yourself, whether you can play in the majors or not. And, and so Nick Lodolo to me, Nick Lodolo to me has probably been, 
I don't want to say more dominant, but I can argue more effective consistently. Yeah, more consistent. Yeah, I yeah. think that's where it was. And, and I go back to he is a college pitcher who's got a little more experience, obviously a little, little more age to him, which sounds to me like I think I'm closer to Lodolo, but I'm going back to if you're going to throw me out of rotation and put Gutierrez as your fifth guy, I, honestly, I think I can live with it. I, I do. Now, maybe that two more starts will change my mind and change their mind on that. At that point, if you're mid-July and Gutierrez has two more bad starts, then yeah, maybe I'd consider that. I yeah, I I think that 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 more so than Hunter Green. I think Hunter Green to me, I'm almost going to wait till September, and at that point when you can add you know additional guys to the roster, and he's kind of a luxury piece. I think at that point I bring him up. If they're still grooming him as a starter, then maybe you continue to let him start in Louisville because I don't know if I put him in a rotation right now in the big leagues. I think for him, he is a he is a. I don't want to say middle relief guy, but middle to late relief guy. If you, if you bring him up. So I think I'm waiting in September. Lodolo would be the guy I'd consider before I'd consider Hunter green with green. It's interesting because I, I guess there's two big questions there for me. And the first one, they probably don't really have a good answer for it's about his health. He was coming off the Tommy John. Right. I know he feels totally fine right now, but is there a concern that you bring him up to the major leagues he tries to do too much. He tries to overexert himself. You know, a guy who throws over 100 mile an hour to begin with. Do you get worried about him pushing it too far, re-injuring himself, trying to do too much? The second is what you brought up. Do you envision him being a starter the rest of his career? Or do you already have a strong suspicion that the guy throwing this hard probably isn't going to be a starter for us? It's going to be an Aroldis Chapman situation, and we're eventually going to move him to the bullpen, make him a closer type guy, and have and him be a dominant back end guy. Yeah, and he's always going to probably be as a starter a high pitch count guy, not because he's wild, mind he's you, but going to strike out guy. Right? Yeah, so you're, if you're going to strike out guy, you're going to have high pitch counts usually. Right, and so if that's in the equation, then I'm much more focused on question one again, and I'm much more interested in talking about bringing him up now. Because I think as a guy that doesn't have all his other pitches developed, but has a dominant fastball and at least an off-speed pitch or two that he's confident in, he can be a reliever in the majors right now. He only has to see guys one at bat a game. I think he can handle that, and he can legitimately help you. So if that's the plan for him, I would strongly consider bringing him up in the near future because your bullpen is that bad, and he is that talented. Now, I think everyone wants him to be a starter. I want him to be a starter. I hope he's the next ace of the staff into the future. I hope Ladol is right there with him. And in that case, I'm kind of with you. I think it's just a little bit early. He really hasn't thrown many innings in the minor leagues at all because he's basically lost, what, two years now or a year and a half? Yeah, no. So like two full years almost of minor league development time because of injuries and then, and then COVID. So he could definitely use more seasoning more time to work on his other pitches. But again, I mean, if you're, if you ultimately think he's going to be a reliever anyways, I would be tempted to consider it sooner than later, because I do think he could dominate at this level. I do think he could legitimately help this team potentially contend while they're still in contention. Now, let let me ask you one more thing about that though. In a month from now, if they decide we're sellers and I mean, I think at that point, Luis Castillo is probably up for trade. I think Sonny Gray is probably up for trade. Heck, I think even Wade Miley, the way he's pitched as an inexpensive option for a team that needs a fourth or fifth guy, he'd probably be in the mix for for potential trade. If at that point, if you free up a spot in the rotation, 
you have to think those two guys are on the list of people they'd think about bringing up at that point, right? Yeah, and, and, and I, sorry, I go back to Hunter Green. I, I get that they want to see him as a starter. You drafted him number two overall, and, and you're not drafting closers that high usually, right? Yeah. But, but right now, this organization doesn't have a closer. Honestly, I mean, I, I go back to TJ Anton is probably not a traditional closer. He should almost, he should almost be a candidate for the rotation. Remember that? He, he was that last year. He was a starter last year. Yeah, um, it seemed like they wanted to make him one this year, but the bullpen right. was such a disaster. It was the only chance right. they had. So if I was going to tell you that, that I could have my closer under wraps for the next six years at an expensive price and, and really feel good about that guy, would you not take it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough because like you said, I mean, I'd really like to have an ace starter for the next however many years too if he's really going to be that guy. If he's the next Steven Strasburg or something like that, I, I would be amazing. But... I have my doubts about it. So if I do, if, you I, know, I if do it, too. Those, those max effort guys like that, it I just, just scares you. It scares you, yes. especially when they've already had the injury. I mean, it's it it does, and there's no there's no way around that. And I don't know that there's a right way to play it. There's just you hope for the best, I guess. But well, I, I, I would say this: if you th- if if right now, if you're the organization and you say to yourselves, "All right, we're in this. Well, you know, we're, we're we're four games back as we start the series with the Braves. July's creeping upon us. The trade deadlines." you know, roughly a month away. And yeah, we can add a bullpen. I, I hear everybody talking about trying to trade for bullpen arms. Now you're not getting bullpen arms. Now people, you're just not. So don't, those that keep talking about, oh, they need to go get bullpen help. Where who's, who's, who's dealing right now. I know that you can argue, well, you don't have to wait till the deadline, but here's the part you do. That's what teams do. They wait till the deadline. They wait till they decide. Yeah, we're out of it. We, we can go. And so for me, if you think that this is a guy that can legitimately help you win games now, and everybody can go, oh, what about the future? I'm so sick of hearing about future. If you think he can help you win now, let's go for it. I, I thought they did a great job years ago when they brought Chapman up. Because remember, that was the risk of, well, he's going to be a potential long-term starter. And, you know, you don't want to mess him up by throwing him in the bullpen. How'd that work out? Worked out great for them in the short term. Worked out great for them for a large degree in the long term until it came to finances. And it's worked out great for his career. I mean, who knows? He might have flamed out in two years as a starter for all we know. Here he is going on, what, 13 years, 12 years as a, as a closer? If that's what you ultimately think happens, then I would be strongly considering bringing him up as a bullpen option right now because I just think it's different. It, when you're not facing a lineup three times in a game, right. no, you I'm don't need you. to be as well-developed. You don't need Correct. extra pitches as much. You just need to be able to throw 105 miles an hour like he's able to do. So, I, yeah, I think he'd be very effective, or at least he'd have a chance to be more effective than the guys they have in the bullpen right now if they were to bring him up, I think Lodolo would be really interesting. Although to me, he's more, he's going to be a starter either way to me. I, I don't see bringing him up as a reliever option, in my opinion. Um, yeah, no, I know. I, I think he's a guy that let's see Gutierrez for a few more. Let's get to the trade deadline, um, you know, and, and then we'll see where we're at at that, that, at that point. I mean, then you're into August um, at that point, if he, He's your best fifth starter option, and I sure would like him better than Jeff Hoffman. And again, I'm not giving up on Vladimir Gutierrez. I, I, I think he's he's been okay. I need to see a couple more starts before you can finally go one way or the other with him. And you're going to get Sonny Gray back here at some point. I, I'm I'm fine with the rotation. I really truly am. I'm, I'm not fine with the way David Bell manages the rotation, but I'm fine with the rotation. I do have one other question about the bullpen because if okay, so let's say you're not going to bring up Hunter Green or Nick Lodolo at least until something happens in the trade deadline and maybe you have some spots open up, which is understandable. I think that's a reasonable way to play it. It's probably sure, the, sure. the more prudent way to play it with these young guys. 
We just heard David Bell say that his bullpen is absolutely taxed. His bullpen stinks. They're not talented to begin with. Why are they not willing to try a couple of these guys at AAA who may not be long-term right. solutions? They may not be studs, but a guy like Revere San Martin has been talked about. They seem to think he has a chance to be in their future plans as a bullpen arm. He's done well. Yeah, you have to you have to bring him onto the the forty man roster, but there's plenty of guys you can get rid of for him. CNL Perez, I don't think we need him anymore. No, Go ahead, I think you're boom, right. out of here. Like, well, Luis, I think Luis De Leon's throwing again, right? Yeah, that, that's that's my thing. Why why are we sitting here talking about the same guys that have no shot? Tell we hear from the manager that these guys are taxed, and yet. They're not even trying these other AAA arms. Why, why not just give someone else a shot? We've already seen the guys who can't cut it. It's very obvious. Or why not let our starters go an extra inning? Can, can, can we well, stop with this 90 pitches? I mean, Wade Miley's the, the, the two starts prior to the one the other day, had thrown 104, 102 pitches. He had thrown 94 the other day. Is another 12 to 15 pitches getting into the eighth and then only needing to somehow get three outs? Is that really going to kill Wade Miley? Do you think that's a special precaution because of the short year last year that they're worried about stretching these guys out and letting them throw well, some pitches? Or I would say I would say yes to some degree. <clears throat> Excuse me, but you know, anymore if you're sticking to a traditional five man rotation, it's not a five day rotation. It's a five man, and yes, you do have some seven day some seven day weeks uh, worth of games where there's a game every day, but most weeks. In there, there's a day off. So guys getting an extra day of rest along the way. I looked at when I looked at both Tyler Malley and Wade Miley. They pitched mostly on four days rest, a handful on five. One was on seven days rest. I think another one of those guys was on six days rest. That's a lot of rest between starts. I mean, it really and truly is. Look, I don't need to go back to guys throwing 145 pitches as they did in the day when men were men and women were women and everyone was glad. But I mean, 94 pitches and you're cruising through seven. You've been pretty pitch efficient. That's 13 and change an inning. You can't give me 13 to 15 more pitches when you're pitching. Well, I mean, come I, on. I've always been with you on the longevity thing. It does not make sense to me. Although as we've seen a lot of injuries this year, I have been, I guess more receptive to it this year than I ever have been in the past, because I feel like there's at least some logic to why they're babying the arms more like the last few years. It made no sense to me when you saw, like, I know the Rays did very well with that as their strategy and only pitching their guys four and five innings, their starters, but they had a bullpen, right? The Reds don't have a bullpen. And I'm good with, listen, if you've got a bullpen, I'm great with that. I think it's a great travel. I did a piece a couple of years ago on local 12.com about going to a formula of, of, of a three inning, three inning, and then, you know, a two inning, one inning guy. And if you looked at it for some of those guys, when they hit the 50 pitch counts, and this was in the Sal Romano era, God, God rest its soul. But Sal Romano for the first 50 pitches was usually pretty damn good. And then he'd hit a wall and, and there were guys like that. And I thought, all right, well, let's think outside the box. Do we have to think of the traditional, you know, starter, uh, you know, late inning guy, closer role. How about we just have, you know, different roles and, and the Rays, thank God for them. They, thought outside the box. And then like everything else in life, everybody else said, Hey, that opener thing's a pretty good idea. Now to do stuff like that, you better have multitude of arms coming out of that bullpen, which Tampa had the Reds don't have that. What you have is you have some pretty good starters who again, Wade Miley was pretty damn pitch efficient, seven innings and 94 pitches. Do the math. It's 13 point, whatever you want to do for a decimal point per inning. That's pretty good. One more inning of 13 pitches. Or if you just say, listen, we'll get him, 
you know, give him 15 more pitches and let's see where it goes. Um, I'd rather trust Wade Miley getting me a couple more outs than getting into that bullpen, which then blew another lead to, to make it seven, seven. I just, I just don't trust anybody in it other than TJ. Anthony. I don't trust Lucas Sims. It feels like Lucas Sims gets a lot of Adam balls. And, and when he's really effective, he's scary good, but it's not enough. And the, and the numbers suggest it's not enough. Um, and, and Amir Garrett, I still wish he'd pitch the back of his baseball card. I'm at the point now where I just don't know if that's going to happen this year, or maybe ever again. And the rest of those guys are just washed up hack arms. So Give me another inning of my starters when I've got a pretty good rotation. Yeah. And, and the thing about the current starters, this isn't PC to say probably at this time, but none of them are up and coming studs. None of them are prospects that are young that you're worried about protecting. I'm like, let's face it. Like, yeah, you don't want to ever hurt any of your guys, but no, like you're talking about, you're talking about the difference between 12 pitches for a veteran, like Wade Miley, who's soft tossing up there anyway. Uh, you know, I mean, it, if he gets hurt this year, because because of what happened last year, I don't think that's on you. And I, you know, I mean, like you do the best you can, but at the same time, like you're sure. saying, if it's the difference between you winning baseball games right now and Wade Miley pitching 12 extra pitches, I think I can live with that decision on my conscience. You know, I don't, I don't think it's like you're ruining a young guy's arm or something. You're not and I st- Dusty and I st- Baker with Kerry Wood or something. Yeah, I still go back to it's like the six feet rule that we had during COVID, right? It, it was an arbitrary number that somebody threw out there that nobody really knew. It always just felt like when we got to this whole 100 pitch thing that that's become that arbitrary almost at 100 pitch. Oh, he's over 100 pitches. He's going to die. Maybe not. You know, maybe there's days where you, you don't feel very well for 80 pitches and you're throwing the crap out of it. Your arm feels great. You feel great at 100 pitch, 109. I mean, I think circumstances need to be different. Instead, we're in the cookie cutter mode. And that's what's so frustrating about it is I'll be honest. I mean, if you're going to manage cookie cutter, like anybody can do it, literally anybody can do it. So stop being cookie cutter. Yeah. And and look, as much as we have ragged on some of David Bell's decisions and he can be an easy punching bag at times, certainly for the way he talks after games and how by the book he is with some of the analytics, the righty on righty, lefty on lefty stuff. You got to give him some credit because this team, he has led this team to be in contention after it looked like they were down and out, and he's done it without much to work with at all in terms of pitching. So, no, no I, question. I, I do give him some credit for having them here. I, I don't think everything he's done is the wrong thing, but it's almost more of a, a overall baseball commentary at this point. And you're right, like I'm, I'm for analytics. When, when when the Rays figured that out and it worked for them, that was great. And I'm all for doing that, but it's got to make sense with the personnel you have. And the Reds don't have that personnel right now. They can't play that way. I'm sorry. It's just the way it is. And it, it's not a blanket rule. It doesn't mean, oh, everyone needs to pitch longer into games. But yeah, when you've been in some of these situations where you know your bullpen stinks and it's taxed, I would like to see them try to figure out a way to get another inning out of certain guys. Occasionally it's like yeah. even the other night when they're, they're heading to extra innings and they take TJ Anton out after one inning and he only threw what 10 pitches. Yeah. He was one though, that I think going in, they, they wanted to get an inning just to get his feet wet. And that was it, to be honest with you. I think that's all that was. And I, I guess I get that with him coming back from the forearm. Um, you see how he pitched. Yeah. yeah. I see him pitch the way through the ball right there. And I think, uh, you know what? You can, you can go back out there for another inning. We're yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm noting you. I'm and we're, noting we're, you. we're in a we're in a race for the division. We're we're lost four straight here. Let's try to keep it from being a fifth or whatever it was at the time. You know, I mean, that's the type of stuff where I, I wish there was more of a sense sense of urgency at times. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. Skinny, one other baseball topic here. It didn't take long before MLB's crackdown on sticky stuff became a total distraction from actual games. 
Umpires physical check-ins on pitchers in between innings started on Monday. And already we've had players getting mad at umpires and dropping their pants. Managers asking for extra check-ins during innings when opposing pitchers are dealing umpires, interrupting standing ovations after debuts and so forth. Have the umpire check-ins on pitchers for the sticky stuff bothered you? Um, I think the excessive one on Max Scherzer was much. I mean, they checked him a few times and then Joe Girardi tries to show him up and that got to be a little too much. And, you know, that, 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 that I like the, the Romo guy in Oakland who pulled his pants down and <laughs> he wanted to check every, everywhere. Here's the thing. I, so this crackdown looks really good initially, right? Okay. We're going to make, we're going to do this. We're going to check these guys. No one's come up dirty. Are we literally going to do this for every game the rest of the year, Rick? At what point do the umpires in the league go, hey, we've done our due diligence. Everybody's going to forget about this. And then we're going to be back to square one. Because these guys, you think these guys are stupid enough to go, all right, they're going to check. Let's keep doing this. No, they're going to go, hey, let's just cool it for a while. My stuff's good enough to get enough guys out. I may not be dominant, but I'll go get guys out. And then they'll kind of let this soften and go by the wayside. And then guess what? I'll go back to doing the sticky stuff again. Here's the thing. I've got the perfect solution for them. They have, they had all these different, COVID people on staff that were supposed to be doing COVID compliance, right? Different check-in points, different testing points, all that stuff. So there were people that they were paying that they know that understand the protocols have been inside the building before that they can be assimilated in pretty quick into a new role, right? Make them the COVID check-in people, put them inside the dugouts or what have you. Like, why are we doing this for umpires out on the field in between innings where it's this big public spectacle where you know – you're going to have issues and players are going to turn it into a show that like it was the most obvious thing that if you are checking inside guys belts for this stuff, that when they get mad at you, what are the first things they're going to do? Start being demonstrative with their belts and ripping their yep. pants off. And I mean, before long, we're, we're going to see a buttocks or a oh, yeah. oh, sure. I mean, it's no going question. to happen. Yeah, no, that's actually not a bad idea. And it's kind of like the, the independent uh, concussion guy. I mean, you have an independent person or two maybe a couple people in the dugout one checks them coming through the clubhouse you monitor as you're on the bench you're walking around making sure guys aren't trying to do it fielders aren't trying to hide it in their gloves etc you know maybe you go down the bench and check glove check check things during during that yeah and now they have a guy making sure you're not like filming stuff or doing the cheating with garbage cans like they have one of those at every game why not have a a a sticky stuff guy that's checking yeah and then it's not it's really not that overly obtrusive you're doing it while a team's you know in the dugout off the field, you're checking as they go back out. And, and when they're back out, they're back out. And listen, if somebody's clever enough at that point to hide some, something and, and make it work well, good for you, then you gain the system. Um, I just go back to, if you do do this, and I think I said it at the start of this a couple of weeks ago, if you're going to penalize, t- is 10 days really that, that big? I mean, honestly, yeah, I know it's a couple starts for a pitcher. Um, I think I think that is pretty because the the fine thing nah, if won't you, work the fine the, the, I, no I, there's guys I, I that will pay you. enough money for me, to cheat for it me has, if we're, well here's the thing if you're gonna if you're gonna suspend dopers fifty games or sixty games or whatever it is suspend these guys fifty or sixty games in that there's your deterrent that I you know if you thought to me I, I might miss a starter or two and maybe I, if I appeal this and say hey you found something sticky but it wasn't anything other than rosin or a little pine tar that I brought with me that that's normal um, you would get that busted down to a game and you miss a start. That's not all that big of a deal. I may run the risk of cheating at that point, but if I'm going to miss two months, eh, is it worth it? I don't know. Rob Manfred says they've gone very well, though. It's gone very well. Yeah, I saw that. And I'm sure in his mind, his thought is get it out on the field so everyone sees how strict you're being about it. Announce that you're having no problems with it. Right. That makes you look good. 
In reality, what happens is you've now just called integrity into question every single inning in front of every single fan right. that ever watches your sport. Right. Well, right. I mean, just think about a kid who's watching this right now that's learning the game right now. So, Dad, what, what are they doing? Well, everybody cheats. So they're making sure that they're not cheating actively right now this second no, that, on, that, on that, the that, field. That, like, that. When, when you make that this, like a staple of your game and a big public demonstrative thing and now and now by the way that you know it's always about the kids what are you going to tell your kids now you've got the pitchers coming off undressing themselves thrusting in the umpire's faces because they're mad about it it's like okay this this is a great spectacle this is really helping sell the game this is a really good look for baseball why are you making it so public out there on the field in between innings why are you taking a guy who makes his major league debut he's got a standing ovation coming off the field and you're going to stop him while he's being clapped for and yelled for and getting ready to do his hat tip because you need him to take his hat off and his belt off and his glove off so you can check him. I mean, it's it's just so – it's such a bad look for the game. It makes no it, sense to be doing this on the field. Mark my words on this, and I could be proven wrong. I've been proven wrong before, but I don't mind going out on a limb. I don't think this is a huge limb to go out on. You will not see these checks after the All-Star game. They'll, 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 this was a big spectacle. You're right. To show, to show everybody, they'll just, they'll just stop doing it. They'll just stop doing it. And unless a manager on the other team complains, they'll stop doing it. I, I can see it coming. This is not going to be an everyday thing anymore. It's going to be, we did it. We stopped the cheating. Nah, yeah, these guys are, these guys are smart enough to go, listen, you want to do this for a starter too? Great. But you're, you're not doing this long term. You're not doing this for the rest of my career. I can tell you that much. So you sure as hell probably aren't going to do it at the end. You know, after, after a certain period of time, this is just nothing more than a PR spectacle. That honestly is a goofy. It's not a PR nightmare. It's just stupid. It's right. just honestly stupid. Yeah, I agree. It's not the biggest deal in the world. It's just, it was so obvious that it was going to be a bad look and it wasn't going to play out well publicly and everyone was yeah, going to be honest, mad if, at you if, for if it. Any, if any pitcher had taken any substance stuff out starting Monday to the mound and then got, I would have just said, you know what, honestly, you're dumb. I mean, are you, are you really that dumb? <laughs> it would have been pretty hilarious, though, if someone just had a giant glob of that spider tack sitting in between the webbing of their glove <laughs> or something. It's <laughs> like, not even trying to hide it. My favorite one of all time is, is Joe Necro, uh, Phil Necro, the, the Hall of Famer's brother, who was a pretty effective pitcher in his day. I think he was pitching for the Twins in the 80s, and they came out and did a check on him, and he reaches in. I don't know if you've ever seen this one. Probably most of those who are listening to this podcast have not, but they're, they're checking Joe out because at that time, that's when managers would have to complain that, hey, something's you know, he's sandpapering the ball. He's doing this. He's scuffing it. Well, he reaches into his back pocket and all of a sudden, like out of the corner, he like flips a, a, a nail file um, out, uh, out of his out of his back pocket and then looks around, looks at the ground, goes, oh, look what I thought. Where did this come from? And they're like, no, dude, it's great because you can see the, the, the video of it clearly shows him reaching in there to try to try to do the old flip it out. I got uh, nothing. Yeah. I got, what is this? Where did, where did this come from? I've I mean, seen that so, move on cops before. Exactly. Yes. No. Right. Yeah. This was not my dope. Where did it? It, it fell out of my, not my pocket. Yeah. Come on. Crackhead Fred didn't have anything in his shoe. What are you talking about? Crackhead Fred usually doesn't have a shirt on. Usually he's missing a handful of teeth. He Look, just you leave Latonia alone. You leave Latonia <laughs> alone. All right. Those are, those are your peeps. All right. Let's switch gears here. The NBA is down to its version of the final four in the Western Conference. The Suns have a 2-0 lead on the Clippers while the Hawks have a 1-0 lead on the Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals. Skinny, I want to ask you, were you more entertained by Jay Crowder's buzzer-beating oop to DeAndre Ayton and the Suns' exciting Game 2 win over the Clips, or Trey Young's heroics as he scored 48 points to bring the Hawks back to beat the Bucks in the fourth quarter of Game 1? 
I can't give you neither or on that. I thought they were both outstanding. Um, Pretty good start to these series. And especially, you know, knowing the rules and I, I circumventing is not the right word. I mean, the rule is because I know people lost their minds about that being in the cylinder and technically out on the oop, yeah, on the oop to crowd uh, from crowd, the pass from Crowder to uh, to DeAndre Ayton um, to know that rule and know how it's applied. I mean, that, that was you could have thrown that. I, that's the other thing. I wish people knew how hard that pass is to throw. It's behind <laughs> the backboard, right? Not at an angle, at an not angle on the actual corner where you've got right. more of an angle. You're pretty close. I mean, you're not even in the short corner, really. You're in between. And, and the thing is, if you throw it too long, you know, like too high, he has to reach back, gather himself, may not be able to dunk it, maybe not get it off in time, or maybe it gets blocked. Because if you saw this, I mean, I think he actually got fouled on the play. To be honest with you, there's a there's a shot of the arm on an arm, but still. Um, and if it's thrown too short. The defender then can just reach up and one. poke it away. I mean, yeah. you couldn't throw that. Pa- you could have sat on top of the backboard and go, I'm going to drop this now. And then you just grab it and dunk it. I mean, he couldn't have done that any better. I mean, that's just that was a brilliant, brilliant pass and a brilliant inbound set. Again, to know the rule, understand the rule. And I don't think every coach knows that, to be honest no. with you. Um, yeah, I, that's to understand that and know the rule that was that's that's brilliant. I don't know that I'd ever seen that come into play. Now, I'd heard about that rule before. I remember something about when a, a coach ran the similar play at some point, someone ran in the it was, NBA. It was, it was, it was, it was, yeah, it was a, it was a bulls coach. And I wish I could remember which one it was. I think they ran it for Zach Levine and, and there was a big argument after the game and he, right. The referee said, no, that's the rule. He's, he's got it right. And he, he knew that whoever that coach was, and I wish it was somebody obscure, dude, I'm totally drawing a blank on who the coach was, but he knew the rule and, and, and use it to his advantage when everybody else didn't understand the rule. Right. We, so we had seen this before. I remember it coming up, but I, I just don't remember, like, you know, I had been watching a game and seen it come up like this in live action where everyone loses their mind. So I knew it was going to count, but the amazing thing about that, like you said, is the pass. You, he just shot it in the basket. I mean, that's right. what you're, he did. you're trying right. to do is trying to make the shot from there. And he did. Um, the great part about that is the defender in the moment doesn't think he can block that shot. He thinks it's going to be goaltending on him. And then on the back right, side, you've got right, you got right. DeAndre, DeAndre Ayton doing what looks to be offensive goaltending or basket interference, but it doesn't. It's a live ball. You're allowed to play it, yep, and yep. the defense just doesn't think that or know that quick enough because it's other, not a shot attempt, right? The other thing that's amazing is uh, Devin Booker was the one setting that screen for Ayton on the lob. And even though Nick Batum knows in his mind, hey, they're going to try to throw a lob at the basket. Don't let them get a lob at the basket. The fact that he had Devin Booker there for a second made him hang with Booker just a split second longer, afraid that Booker's going to pop out for the shot and just froze him for one extra second to where you had all of a sudden a 6'10", whatever Batum is, one of the best defenders, not in the play because he was attached to Booker for an extra split second. Just a beautiful Beautiful play design. Yeah, and the other part, too, is if you get the switch, because you're looking for the big, small switch, right? So even if you get the switch in that circumstance, if Batum decides they automatically switch that, then that lob becomes easier for DeAndre Ayton because it's not Batum. It's a guard going up there to try to challenge him at the rim. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was brilliant all the way around and brilliantly executed. I mean, I'll give the coach credit for it, but uh, Monty Williams credit for it, but I'm also going to give – Crowder's pass was ridiculous. I, I, yeah. I, I, you know what? The next time I'm in a gym at Beachwood, I'm going to have to just sit in that corner and see if I can throw a shot in at that angle. Yeah, I mean, I, 10 I, tries and have one of the players film it and see how close. Yeah, exactly. Is. Yeah, I'm going I'm to guess I might make one, but I'm going to guess I'm going to hit the side of the backboard three times. I'm going to shoot it over three times. I'm going to come up short three times and I'm going to get lucky one time and I'm going to rattle one in. Probably. Yeah. That's about it. That, that was truly an amazing pass, uh, but but a really fun series. I love watching the Suns. They've been fun to watch all playoffs. I'm glad they've made it to this point. 
on the other Devin side, Book- hey, teams, hey man, Devin Booker, you know me, I love me some mid range. He is the king, he's the king of mid range. He's, he's, the, he's the king of mid range. He really is. Well, and yeah. on the other side, the other guy I want to talk about, Trey Young is too. That teardrop floater that he has for the Hawks, it is unstoppable. In a pick and roll situation, the way he can dance on you out at the top of the key and as lethal of a shooter as he is, there's no way to guard him coming off that ball screen into the mid range and stop his teardrop floater. I mean, it's Steph Curry, right? It's Steph Curry, Steph Curry all over again. Yeah. You know, he makes the right decision, whether it's, you know, going going behind the screen and shooting the three because they didn't defend it well, or you're right, keeping his dribble alive and stutter stepping. And then if you if you switch it late, he'll lob it up to the rim for a dunk. And if you don't, he just blows right by guys to the rim. I mean, dude, he accounted for, and, and he had 11 assists, so I can't, you know, I don't know how many of those were threes, but let's just assume three of them were. So he accounted for 25 points on assists, 48 for himself. So he accounted for, no matter how you slice it, he accounted for 70 of their 116 points, either assisting or making a bucket. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're doing it with guys injured. Bogdanovich wasn't even a big factor in this game. He was a game-time decision to play, and it doesn't matter. This guy is is the show. I mean, he is their whole team, and you can't stop him. And you know me. I'm not a big – I don't like the showboat part of it, as you know. I'm old school, so I'll be the first to admit it. But I'll be honest, the little shimmy shaped three. <laughs> I mean, my word, you're doing that in an NBA fine. You're doing that in an NBA playoff game against highest level players. All right. I know he was wide open and all that stuff. Right. But if you're going to shimmy shake, you better damn well drill that thing. He did. And then you can see during that next time out, the freak is just livid. He's like showing his guys like this guy's, this guy's shimmy shaking and making buckets on us. We got to stop this crap. And I did think at that point, I thought I was on the phone with my buddy at that point. I said, Bucks are coming back and winning this. They've had enough. They've they, this has been fun to watch, but they're going to put the line in the sand. And for a minute, it looked like they did because they got up what four a couple different times, and there he comes back with more. Yeah, I mean, well, you've got Bobby Portis on that one where he's doing the shimmy shake. Bobby Portis is like almost under the rim. He's he's supposed to be there, the other defender on the ball screen situation. And after Drew Holiday gets crossed out of his shoes. Right. There's no one within 15 feet of the best player on the court and the best shooter on the Hawks team. And he's just knocking down a wide open three after Harlem shaking on you. Not a good look for Bobby Portis. I understand why the Greek freak was pissed off, but I just with Trey young, you you mentioned the shimmy shake that came what three or four possessions after he lobbed an off the backboard Backboard to John Collins in the middle of a transition play with traffic. I mean, the dude plays with a rudeness an irreverence for his opponents. The he does not care. He he's fine with being the villain, but he doesn't really go out of his way to and see. No, that's fight or that's anything. The, he's just that, he's just really good, and he, and he doesn't care about you at all. He's just ripping your heart out. No, that's the thing I think I like about him the most is he doesn't care about these. The, he, he he's Allen Iverson, right? I mean, yes, he's kind yes. of that guy. Yeah, that is exactly. It's funny you say that because last night I was trying to think. I'm like, who else played like this? Where it's not like they're fighting guys. It's not like they're like big getting into one on one stuff. But like. They will rip your heart out and play the heel role a hundred out of a hundred times and have no problem with it. Like they don't look like they want to be friends with anyone. They don't like they're helping anybody up. They are trying to show you up, trying to embarrass you and doing it with such flair and an entertaining style of play that we have not seen many guys like that. It's not, it's not like a Kobe. It's not like a LeBron. They were never that way. It's very much like an Allen Iverson vibe. It's a culture thing. He is going to win so many young oh, kids yeah. over yeah. the next 10 yeah. years. 
Yeah. The, the other thing too is, and I guess it's the small guy in me. I, I just enjoy seeing guys like him and Curry. Iverson, Iverson ran his mouth a little too much for my taste and he was a little too punky for my taste. But again, I still admired the way he played and played so hard and literally name another sixer on that team that he carried to the finals. I, I dare anybody. I mean, I'm sure there's some Eric Snow, Tyrone yeah. Hill, Aaron Mackay. I mean, come on. I mean, he took that team to the finals. It's kind of like this team right now. I mean, you know, other than knowing them because you're watching them now before the season, could you have named five other Hawks, three other Hawks, two other Hawks? Maybe not, not many. Um, and, and your average fan sure as hell can't. Um, so I, I love watching small guys just literally in a game of still that's dominated by big men, not seven footers, but still six, eight to six, 10 to in the case of Kevin, still a lot of big men to see the little guys just own the game the way he did is, is fascinating to watch. Yeah, I, that is because right now, I don't know what the Bucks do defensively to fix I don't either. the Boston situation. I, now, I, I will say this. I do think that eventually the Bucks talent and, and overall depth of, 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 of talent will win the series. Um, I think that's what eventually they'll run into the, 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 the Hawks, the Hawks, what they lost two in the series at home to, um, to Philly. And I think we can agree. Maybe we won't, but I think we can, eh, I'll put it out there. I think Philly lost that series more yes. than Atlanta won that series. So I, I just don't think Milwaukee, I, I, I don't think that will happen to Milwaukee. I think for Milwaukee, there might've been a little carryover of how, Taxing, you know, game seven with the Nets was, and you take a deep breath and go, oh, it's Atlanta. Yeah, we've owned them this year. Um, we, we've beaten them this year. We've held Trey Young to below 20 points a game. We'll be fine. And they just could never shape them. <coughs> um, well, so I, I, I do think, I think Milwaukee ends up winning this series in six, but boy, game one was fascinating. And, and as good as Trey Young is, he's not you going to score so 48 every night. That's right. That's I, I mean, you know, I, that's it took 48 points. It took an off night from Chris Middleton, Trey was as good as Trey can be, and they still barely pulled off that win. Yes. Now, granted, it was in Milwaukee, but yeah, I'm with you. I, I think you, you're right on. You were right on the Bucks beating the Nets, which I didn't think would happen. I think the, the Bucks are the better team, but damn, if Trey Young doesn't make it interesting, and if he's in the NBA Finals this year, I will have no problem watching him. Well, the funny part is I've got three of my future teams left to win the NBA title. I got both in the West and I've got the bucks and my luck will be, this will be the year that some obscure ass team like the Hawks comes out of nowhere and wins the championship just because I've got three of the four in a future bet and feel really good about all three. I'm, I'm good with, I mean, I'm, I'm my best one would be from a financial standpoint would be, uh, would be Phoenix. My second best one would be Milwaukee, but, and I'll get a chunk of change back if, if, if the Clippers win, but my luck will be that the Hawks somehow win the NBA championship. That's that sounds about right for you yep. and your luck. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All right. Speaking of luck, let's get into our betting segment now where not a not a ton going on, not really a lot to bet on or talk about. If you're in the NBA playoffs, great. I don't think there's much new to, to discuss there. No. I've been getting crushed on my player props that I talked about last week. I <laughs> still, it's not hitting on many of them, but I'm enjoying playing them. There is something that got released just the other day, yesterday, I believe, as we're talking about this on Thursday. Sportsbetting.ag put out some lines for some of the biggest college football games of this 2021 upcoming season. And there are some marquee matchups this year. We didn't have as many last year, but this year there certainly are. Skinny, the one that all the local fans are going to have their eyes on, week five, you got Cincinnati at Notre Dame. Have you seen this line yet? Do you know what it is? I do. It's, it's three and a half. In fact, I'm going to put something on our website today. I got that. I got those odds yesterday myself and just didn't get to it. So I want to put those up today. There's a, for the record, there's a handful of Ohio state games in there, but they're so, I don't know. It's so hard for me on those to, to, to make a call. 
So, I, but I, but this one just intrigued me just because to see UC, you know, have a line in what they call a big game, I think is really cool. Yeah. For me, I don't think I'm going to touch it, even though I like UC a lot because I think truly when that game is played and I, I'd have to probably look at Notre Dame's schedule leading up to that to see, you know, are they going to be an easy four and Oh, are they going to be a good three and one? Um, to me, the possibility exists for this line to go to Notre Dame six or seven. And if that's the case, I'm jumping all over UC. I probably would take UC at three and a half. If that's the line, when it, when the time comes a, because I do think they are good enough to win B I, I want to root for them to win as well. Cause I, I think this has got a chance to be a really cool season. Um, for them to get in the college football playoff conversation, if they can at least win the Indiana or Notre Dame games, and certainly if they sweep them. So at three and a half today, I'm going to say I pass because I think the line goes higher, but I would accept three and a half. And I don't think it goes lower than that come come game time. I just don't because there's such a Notre Dame contingent of fans out there. And maybe yeah. that's where, maybe that's where honestly this line, I, you should snap it up because they're trying to sucker you into taking the Notre Dame minus three and a half. But I think by the time game time rolls around, it's higher. And I think I want to pounce on the higher number. I think it is too. A lot of the public likes the the betting dog, but in this case, when you've got a big national name like Notre Dame, you've got a non-power five team like you see playing against them in a, in a kind of prove yourself game. Right. If that's if that's still single digit line, I think you're going to see the public really hop on Notre Dame. I, I think you're right. I think this goes up higher than three and a half when we get closer to the game, especially yeah, and assuming I'm, and both I'm jumping these teams, all over UC. Yeah, assuming both these teams play well. Yeah, yeah, right, season, right, which, right, which right. I assume they will. You know, Notre Dame does have a Florida State game on Week One, so they'll get they'll get a nice little yeah, test there. Yeah, but they're probably better. I mean, Florida State still got a ways to go in its its recovery process. And then the real interesting one is the the week before you see Notre Dame. Notre Dame plays Wisconsin, and Wisconsin is a one point yeah. favorite as of now okay. in that game. Yeah. So you will have two tests there that make that that line a little bit more interesting. Like for instance, if Notre Dame does lose that game to Wisconsin as an underdog, you've got to imagine the pub, the public's going to be really heavy on Notre Dame the next week to beat UC. So yeah, that's where I get, I go back to, I just don't see that line going less than that. Come, come the time they play it. I think the only way it goes is higher. And I would accept, honestly, I would accept three and a half to be honest with you, but I don't want to accept it today. I'd rather accept it when I, when I've seen some of these teams play. And I know that's what some of these future lines are. You're kind of betting on the, on on the if come and that's fine that's what makes them kind of cool to see and there are certainly some professional gamblers that probably pounce on this stuff i'm not a pro so i just i just looking at it from 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 afar i think i'm gonna wait but it is it's an interesting early line to see that basically it shows that they don't think those two teams are far apart if you use the old adage of three points for for home field right they kind of got that as we sit here is they think those two teams are pretty even yeah notre dame by a half a point is really what they're saying here you know i mean in terms of the two teams so yeah, I mean, there's not not a lot of ton to get into there, really. If uh, the Ohio State games, they've got Ohio State as a ten point favorite at home against Oregon in Week Two. They've got Ohio State as an eleven point favorite at Indiana in Week Eight, and they've got Ohio State as a ten and a half point favorite at home against Penn State in Week Nine. And then finally, the uh, Michigan game in Week Thirteen. Ohio State is an eleven and a half point favorite at Michigan. So yeah. Um... I think about the only one of those I would take when I would take Oregon and the points early. Um, I, and I would probably, if I was going to do it, I'd probably take Ohio state laying the points in those two home games later, even against Indiana. Cause I think the, the more the season progresses, the better Ohio state's going to be, you know, early on new quarterback and all those things um, at 10 points for Oregon coming in. 
I probably would be stupid to take it, but right now I'd lean towards it. And honestly, I don't think I could play the Michigan game right now because you just don't know what you're going to get in Michigan. I, I mean, you just don't. So I think I'd wait on that. But the other two home games, I think I'd be willing to lay those points. All right. Let's get into some Ask Any Anything here. We've got just a few questions for this week's edition. And the first question is an interesting sports one. It might be tough to do off the top of your head, but we'll go with it anyway. Name the best player to play in each of Xavier's, UC's, and NKU's gyms. Oh, my word. To play in the gyms? Yeah. So, so that would... anyone that's come through the gym is the way I take it. I that. know. I know, man. I think you're going to have to give me the week for this. Um, did you have any that came to your mind? For the, so immediately when I think UC, I think Derek so, so, Rose. But, right, and you can't say Oscar Robertson because he did not he play, play in that. Yes, yeah, Shoemaker. Correct, that's yeah. correct, correct. I'm th- I'm thinking Derek Rose would be my initial take yeah, on that's UC. Yeah, that, that's a good one. That was I in mean, 2007, 2008? Yeah, I think so. Kenyon Martin would be in the yeah. conversation, but Derek Rose would surpass him, I think. Um, Penny. Yeah, Penny would have. Yeah, Penny would have played there. Yeah, that's, absolutely. Yeah, that's a good one. You got. De- yeah, Penny's probably ahead of Derrick Rose, isn't he? Yeah. Um, man, who would you have tough. for? Who, yeah, who would you have for Xavier for Cintas Center? Well, the easy choice if we're counting exhibitions is LeBron James. Okay, good point. Yeah, if, good point. If, if we're going yeah. to exhibition, it's LeBron. Uh, yeah. And NKU's. I, who did, Louis, who, did, who did Louisville have Earl, that? Year? Earl Clark. I was just going to say Earl Clark, I think, was yeah. the best player on that Louisville team. So it's probably them, but I, I'd have to see who did UC play the the year they were at NKU. Oh, good point. Was there too. anyone good on UC? Yeah, yeah I, I hate to cop out because I can't do it off the top of my head. I, I have to look. I, I, that's a, that is a fabulous question because the knee-jerk reaction is to just start blurting out names. But then you got to kind of do a little bit more of a deep dive and realize who played. And you're right. UC had that one year of playing there while they were renovating fifth third. What year was that? 2018? Uh, two, no, no. I want to say it was, it was 1920, right? No, 1819. 1819. Yeah. yeah. So just looking through their schedule, they had Ohio's. Uh, they No, that wasn't right. Because they played Ohio State at Shoemaker, right? Yeah, that so, maybe, maybe, so maybe it was 1718. That looks about right because they played nobody in their non-conference here. Okay. Um, yeah, Mississippi State played at NKU that year. Arkansas Pine Bluff, Cleveland State, Memphis, SMU. Jake, did Jake Milton play there? <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's better than Earl Clark. I don't. Yeah, that's a good call. It's probably true. I'm gonna um, go. Drew, you know what? I'm going Drew McDonald. <laughs> you know what? I'm for that. We should have respected the goat. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, may, maybe it's a Wichita state guy, uh, but I still think Earl Clark might be the best. I mean, maybe Landry Shamit or something like that. Come on, Larry, Larry. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe, but yeah, I'm kind of going with you on the Earl Clark train. Yeah. That's not too bad. Yeah. So those are kind of the, the names on the Xavier side of things. If you're not counting LeBron's exhibitions there, I was just saying, I, I I'd have to look, man. I oh, man. think Lamar Odom would have still been oh, at I, the I, Gardens. But, but, uh, I thought I saw. Yeah, maybe you're right. Yeah, you're right. You're probably right. Now, I now that I think about think. it, I think I saw Lamar Odom at. The, was it the Coles? The Coliseum had the had the uh, had the A10 the one year, and I went to almost every one of those games. Like, did Lamar Odom play for Rhodey then? I think that that sounds about the right time. He was there ninety eight ninety nine. 
Yeah. Uh, I think when did the Centos Center open? 99, 2000 or right yeah, after or that? Or right after that. Yeah, it's close. Well, that's a, it's a good question. I love the yeah. question. Centos opened in 2000. So it was I, get, right get, after. Get, get, give me a week. Give me a week. I'll come up with one. Okay. All, All right. right. We'll go back to, we'll go back to that one. Um, with it being the 25th anniversary of the N64 being released, what was your favorite video game and video game system? I think we've talked somewhat about this before where neither one of us were gamers. No, I was not a gamer. Um, but I, I did go in college. I, I would, there was an arcade on campus and I would go there a lot. Um, I, I was a big uh, missile commander guy. I love the missile commander. I love Missile Commander and then the boxing game with 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 uh, with Glass Joe, body blow, body blow, uppercut, yep, knockout. Uh, King Hippo. Yes, yeah, yes. Take out King Hippo. Yep. yep. Um, I, I played a lot of Pac Man in the day too, um, just because it was so simple and you could sit there mindlessly doing it. But I, I, I was a big Missile Commander guy. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I. I. Man, that's tough. I'm gonna say N64 was probably. And, and, and let favorite. me tell you, kids, I had one of the original Pong games, and it was the most fascinating thing ever. And now you look back, you're like, how was that ever entertaining? How in God's name was that ever entertaining? I played Atari growing up. I had Atari. Yeah, yeah. I had some Atari. Yeah. I mean, that was that was well, you know, well out of style by the time I was a kid. But Atari, my- Atari with the giant cartridges that you would put the cartridge games was that, yeah. is that what you had? Yeah. yeah. You didn't have to blow them though. They no, just correct. always worked. Yep, correct. And you had Nintendo and every cartridge didn't work. You had to blow mm-hmm. it a million times and stuff. But uh, yeah, 64 was really good. Probably my favorite. If you're going favorite game there, probably Ken Griffey Jr. Major League Baseball, I would say. Sure. Or Kobe Bryant courtside. But the one platform that I don't think gets enough credit that was way ahead of its time was the Sega Dreamcast. That was, un- it was before all like the next generation consoles. It, it didn't, it couldn't handle the graphics properly. It would like overheat and you'd hear it like spinning its engines in there trying to work. But man, were, were the graphics awesome in the games for it. That was like when they first brought out the NFL 2K and the NBA 2K series was on Sega Dreamcast. And it was awesome. NFL 2K and NBA 2K on Sega Dreamcast will probably be my favorite games to yeah, m- most of the games, and I, I still have some of these. And I'll, I'll play a season every once in a while. I've got like, and, and they're not gamer games. They're more uh, baseball strategy games like Pursue the Pennant. Uh, I got a couple of football games like that. Um, so I, I usually have played those. If I play a game, I've just never been a big gamer. Yeah, same here, really. Not Neither one of us to this day or back when we were kids are, are the game guys. Sorry. Yeah, and, and, mo- and I mean, the gaming generation was pretty much after me, but yeah, I was my generation was still arcade generation, so. Well, uh, the, I'll go ahead and ask this. People want to know what you're going to be wearing to the wedding. So what will you have uh, sweatpants, coaches, shorts, summertime short pants with your suit? What will you be wearing to my wedding, Skinny? <laughs> I, will, I will, in ref- reverence, I'll wear a suit. Uh, well, but with, the, with say, short pants, though? No, it, no it'll be, I'll, I'll wear it. NBA I'll, guys are doing that. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, no, I will. I, in fact, I shouldn't say suit. I don't own a suit. I have I have jackets and, and slacks. So it'll be a, it'll be the mix. It'll be a it'll be a jacket and tie. I'll wear a tie to any wedding. It, I, there's there's some reverence there. I don't know what it is about it, but you got to wear a tie. Come on now. So I have uh, two points on that one. I have a question for everybody else that I'd like them to chime in on. What is the best thing that you got from your registry? Like, as a guy, what do you ask for on your registry? You know what's so funny? I don't even remember. I mean, it felt like we got all kinds of stuff that I that didn't affect me whatsoever. Exactly. That's the that's the whole point of my question here. What, as a guy, do you ask for where you're like, this is where I'm staking my claim. Here's what I'll be, I need. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I don't even know if I helped fill out the registry. 
Well, it's di- the back then you guys didn't have like Amazon to go click through. That, and just that, that's a legitimate point. Yeah, yeah that's a, a legit different. call. You had to go to like a you had to go to like a, a, a JC Penny or wherever else you registered at to, to get stuff. So that's a good point. Also, it was brought up uh, as we were celebrating our engagement over the weekend. And congratulations, by the way. Oh, thank you. It was brought up that uh, and not that I want to put you to work, but the bride is OK with it. And I think it would be great if we had a little recording device at whatever table you're sitting at. And I came over and recorded like a seven minute segment for the podcast that day. I do it do in a heartbeat. You probably need to do it a few cocktails deep. It'd be a lot more entertaining. Oh, trust me. I'm going to be more than a few. No, I'm talking about me. Oh, yeah, both of well, them. Well, them. I assumed that was going to be the case as well. If well, it'll be an open bar, probably safest, probably safe, probably safe. So I got to ask you, how did you, how did you pop the question? Uh, O'Brien's, our favorite uh, bar restaurant. Did but, she know it was coming, or, or was was there genuine surprise? She knew that it was coming in the like in the near future. I would say. Okay. You know, it was like okay. it was basically like get us past COVID, get us past basketball but, but, season. But, but you didn't do anything like kooky special. Like she's like uh, something's up here. So you went to a, no. a place that you both no. like. Yeah, my my cousin. We met at their wedding. Um, so we went out to brunch with them or 11 a.m. lunch with them okay. as soon as the place opened. We got in there, got on the patio. Then I had all of her friends and family and everyone else come in to like the, the front outside of the restaurant while she was out on the patio. I said, I forgot my wallet. I went out. My brother brought her dog in at that moment. So oh, I went wow. out, got the dog, got mic'd up, sent her friends into the back. The, the one friend that was out there brought her inside the restaurant. And then the other friends were right there waiting for her. They gave her roses, told her I was outside waiting for her. Then her family was at the front door, hugged her one last time. And then she were, went were, out the were, front door to me. Were you on a knee or no? Oh yeah, I got uh, that on a knee with well, look at dog you, knee. All wow, yep. wow! I'm impressed with that actually. Yeah, it was strong. It was strong. I had I had a lot of uh, teary I eyes. Did, I didn't know you had that in you. Yeah, no, neither did anyone else. I think that's why everyone was crying because like all the ladies were like, "Wow, you didn't screw this up." Yeah. Wow, I, I'm I'm extraordinarily impressed. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank well, you. well, well done. And she obviously said yes, so that's even better, right? You know, I didn't get an answer, but it, oh, there was wow. enough alcohol are you ser- involved. Are you, are you like serious? No, no, she said yes. <laughs> okay, I was going to say, I thought maybe she gave you like a little head nod, like a little, yeah, good. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, she said, yeah. I guess. <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, congratulations, bro. Thank you. It was funny because uh, the people on my Xavier message board after it happened were like, you know, Skinny blew up his spot like a couple months ago on the podcast after Valentine's Day. Do you remember that? I do. You're like, did you propose? And everyone was like, where'd that come from? So, yeah, yeah, you weren't too far off. You were, you were on oh, the right I, train of thought. That that usually seems to be kind of a line of demarcation, if you will. I knew yeah. I had to say that just for you. So it wasn't quite the line of demarcation, but we were getting there. That's for sure. That's awesome. That's good stuff. All right, bro. We appreciate everybody's question. I will give you an answer to that question next week. I want you to look up your your answers to those too, Rick. Yep, my yeah, God, that's, that's a great question. All right, for Rick Roy, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope edition.